welcome to the latest edition of the Atmosphere is Electric. As always, you're joined by myself, Rich, and on the other end of the dodgy internet connection, we've got Fran. How are you this week, buddy? Yeah, really well. I think the internet connection is a bit better today, so we could be a bit louder for everyone to hear, which would be great. Well, you know, maybe they're not learning anything from us anyway. Maybe they don't want to hear about us, but uh, hopefully there's some nuggets of gold in there today as there normally are. Uh, another really interesting uh, weekend of, of Premier League football, and really, uh, I think there's only one place to start, and mainly because actually uh, we'd have to say that the the fans potentially helped influence the result. And that was obviously at Anfield with the game of the weekend, Arsenal uh, managing to hold on to a two-all draw in the end. Yeah, I think you could probably go one step further and say it was the game of the season. I thought it was an amazing game. Um, you know, just, just the football that was played and the intensity it was played, the passion shown by both sets of fans and the players as well. It was a great game of football to watch. Um, and it's made the title chase even more interesting, hasn't it? It was an interesting game for me in the sense that Arsenal dominated the start of the play. You know, two 0 could have been comfortable more, and there was that moment, wasn't there, that, that got the crowd involved. The crowd was silent, literally, like almost like you know that they weren't even there. And then all of a sudden, there was that flashpoint that turned them into this kind of raucous, crazy kind of forty-five, fifty thousand army that, that seemed to spur Liverpool on. And you could see the players feed off that, and, and you know, I saw Trent do things physically that I've never seen him do before. And they all became bought into this, didn't they? Kind of siege mentality, this kind of war. And in the end, you know, let's not forget Liverpool missed a penalty. You know, how Canati doesn't score that, at the, you know, with the, almost the last kick of the game. Really, they come away from it being 2-0 down, having really should have won the game. Yeah, overall, when you look at the, the full game, I thought Liverpool probably edged it in the end. You know, they did have better chances. Arsenal... They squandered a couple of chances as well, didn't they? There was one period when um, they should have slotted the ball through to Saka and it was a terrible pass. Um, so there was quite a lot of chances missed, but I think that made it an even better game, didn't it? It, it was end-to-end. There was a lot of uh, tackles flying in as well. There was one where Xhaka got absolutely smashed and it flipped over. Yeah, I thought it was a great game to watch. But overall, I think you could say Liverpool edged it and probably deserved to win. So in the end, a good point for Arsenal, really. Yeah, I thought stylistically it was really interesting. It looked like, uh, in many ways, that heavy metal football that Jurgen Klopp talks about was 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 back. For, certainly for the second half, you know, it felt like the Liverpool of old, didn't it? It felt like they were, you know, wave after wave of attack. But as you rightly say, on the break, Arsenal still had a couple of opportunities where you're like, oh, just, if that final ball had just been a little bit more quality or they'd made the right better decision, actually, you felt like Arsenal, even though Liverpool were coming at the wave after, but you felt that, that Arsenal could score on the break at any minute. Yeah, there was one moment, wasn't there, as well, where I think it was Martinelli put a ball across the box and Robertson's made a last-ditch tackle just to stop Saka tapping it in. But yeah, I thought it was a great game, but Arsenal still carried that threat. But what, what disappointed me about Arsenal was they went 2-0 up and they sort of sat back and allowed Liverpool onto them. Whereas if I think if they'd have kept going, they could have scored another one, probably, you know, could have been three or four at that point because they just looked so good in the first half, especially the first 30 minutes. So that disappointed me a bit from their side of things. But Liverpool came back into it and showed the confidence to to play that style of football that you've just mentioned and you know got themselves back in the game. I think um, Klopp needs to take Salah off penalties, though. It's a couple now, isn't it, where he's, where he's missed the target. They've been terrible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, penalties are a funny thing. Aren't they? You, know, you, you get called a stat padder if you, if, you, if you score loads of them, but actually the pressure on them is actually quite difficult and they are, they are more difficult than you think to score. I think going back to your point about Arsenal sitting back, I think 
if that game had been played in November or December, they wouldn't have. The fact that we're now coming to the business end of the season, you know, that they probably thought 2 0 at Anfield, if we can win here, you know, we are absolutely home and hose. This is our championship, you know, we're done. And maybe now that's going to be the interesting piece about this for Arsenal is getting ahead in the game. It's a, diff- it's a different mindset now, isn't it? Because actually, Man City are putting the pressure on, you know, Man City are playing first again this weekend. So if they if they go and beat Leicester, which we'll come on to later, we, I think we'll both probably expect that to happen. You know, then all of a sudden the gap's only three points and now Arsenal have got a tough looking fixture at West Ham. So if they go ahead, you, you can see them sitting back in all of their games now because of the pressure of this. This is it's getting real now, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the challenge for them, isn't it? Is if they can try and get out of that mentality and keep taking the game to the opposition, I think they'll be fine. But like you said, that's what going for the title does to you, doesn't it? It makes you a bit nervy and probably change your style. But if they can get out of that and try and keep pressing forward and attacking teams that they've done all year, that's the reason they're top, then I think they'll be okay. So you still think that they've got enough in the tank to to, to go on and win the league? Yeah, I'm I'm still in the Arsenal camp. You know, they've still not done particularly anything wrong. You know, Liverpool played really well. Um, so yeah, I'm still in the Arsenal camp. Probably that's more out of hope, really. I think it's it's quite nice having a, a fresh team up there. Um, so I'm still in the Arsenal camp, but Man City are flying at the minute, aren't they? So it's going to be really interesting to watch, and especially the last few games. If, if both teams keep winning, which we expect them to do, it could go down to the last few games. Well, as I said to you before, we, we started recording. Man City are now statistically the favourites to go on and win the league. They're 52, percent you know, in one of these supercomputers that I, I never really buy into, but you know, we, we've got to use it as content somehow, right? Uh, they're 52 percent likelihood of winning the league, and it's in their hands. They win all of their games. That they, they win the league, unless of course Arsenal go on some kind of crazy scoring run because Man City have got a five goal better goal difference than, than, than Arsenal, and it's something that, that no one's spoken about all season is that you know it's become over the last twenty four hours with Man City you know turning over Bayern Munich by the last night. Man City are now on for the treble, and you'd have to say they're heavy favourites to win the FA Cup because obviously you know Man United realistically are the, are the biggest competitors. Well, that'd be a great cup final. The Champions League has opened up if you get through Bayern Munich. You know, again, I'm assuming Real Madrid beat Chelsea, but Real Madrid are are vulnerable. Uh, you know, they're, they're nowhere near the, the top of the league in Spain. And all of a sudden, the, the, the Premier League is in their hands. So, so we could be talking about a feat that, that has happened, I think, only once in my lifetime. And, and, and no one's really talked about it all season. And all of a sudden, it's starting to feel like it could happen. Could that, could that actually swing the mindset and, and upset Man City's performances because they start to panic about maybe winning the treble? I think probably until they get one of them on the board, it probably might it won't affect them as much. Whereas Arsenal, they've you know they've been starved of the Premier League for a good few years, haven't they? So Man City sort of used to winning the Premier League, so it's what they do. So I can see them plodding along quite nicely in the league. Uh, like I said, the Champions League has opened up, hasn't it? They said there's not really that strong opposition. The only one you can say that looks really strong is Napoli, but they have to get the job done tonight. So I, I it could affect them. You know, like I said, it's not been done. As, since 1999, has it? So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's another element to add into the mix, isn't it? Which, the, the thing to say about them is they're a great side. They're just great to watch, aren't they, as well? So it's not like they're just winning games. They're winning games and entertaining everyone as well. So they're a great side to watch. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to watch. And hopefully, you know, let's hope they can do it, to be honest. We like, we like records being broken. Yeah, don't we? I, I, I think, for me... Uh, the way football has moved on over the last 20, 30 years, I, I don't have a massive issue who wins tournaments or trophies or, or, or leagues as long as they are the best team and playing the best football. And as we've just said there, you know, 
if Napoli, for example, went on to win the Champions League, they've been my favourite team to watch in Europe this season. Obviously, Victor Oshman looks like he's out tonight against AC Milan, and AC Milan have just beat them 4 0 at their replacing the league. So, so that looks a bit tougher than it did a few weeks ago. But if Napoli were to win the Champions League, I'd be delighted. But likewise, if Man City were to win the Champions League, I'd be delighted because, you know, let's be honest, over the last 10 years, the fact they haven't won the Champions League is the mystery. And how a, a squad as good as they've built and, and a team has played as well as they have haven't won the Champions League is the mystery, really. So, you know, whatever happens, if Real Madrid go into it, they've got some great players that, you know, Benzema's in his form of his life, you know, Modric still pulling strings, you know, with the youngsters coming through as well. So for me, it's about what a great time to be watching football with all these fantastic teams playing beautiful football. Yeah, and you've mentioned a few players there from Real Madrid. They've got a, a lot of players like that, haven't they? But they are coming to the end of their careers. So, yeah, enjoy it while you I think can. that's a really important point. You know, you talk about Messi, Ronaldo, Modric. You know, you talk about Ballon d'Or winners there. And actually, you know, how many more seasons they've got left? You know, the rumours going around is that Messi goes back to Barcelona in the summer. But even if he does, he's not going to go back as the, the pre-PSG Messi because he's two years older. You know, he's won the World Cup. Is he as hungry as he was? Uh you know, maybe Barcelona might be able to reignite his passion. But, you know, even Lewandowski, you know, someone that we're speaking about that Bayern Munich are missing terribly, you know, he's coming towards the end. So there's a lot of great players that haven't got many seasons left left in them. Yeah, and like we said, you've got to enjoy them while they're here, aren't you? So, and, and that, I think that's the beauty of what Man City are doing. They're getting those younger players into the team, aren't they? And, and forging new stars, you know, your Haaland's, your Foden's, those sort of players. So... I think that's why I'm enjoying Man City because it's not the you know they've not just gone and bought the the older stars they are making new stars which I think is great for the game. And Haaland now scored 45 goals across the season. I think a few weeks ago we had a question in from somebody saying, "Do we think Haaland can carry on this form?" I think the short answer is yes, and I and I think yes. you know it would not surprise me if he went past 60 goals this season in all competitions. If you think if, if we're assuming that Man City are going to get to the final. That's another four games in the Champions League. They've got if they get to the final of the FA Cup, that's another two games, and they've still got uh, nine games in the league. So he's got somewhere in the region of fifteen games to go. Uh, I think he could get to sixty. What do you think? Too many? No, no, I don't think so at all. Um, you know, we'll come on to Man City playing Leicester, but there's an opportunity for him to, for playing a team who are in the worst form in the league. You've got to say that, I mean, I suppose the bookies will tell you, but the odds of him getting a hat-trick will be very small compared to sort of normal players. So I think he's got a great chance of getting to, you know, 50, 55, 60 goals. Like the way that Man City are playing, creating chances for him, let's say, you can call him a tapping merchant, can't you? But it's also a skill to know where to stand for the ball to come to you. But he's just phenomenal. He's quick, he's strong, he's good in the air. He's got absolutely everything, hasn't he? And with the players around him, like your De Bruyne, your Gundogan's, Mares, Grealish, it's just frightening, isn't it? Like he's, he's such a good player. Man City are playing so well, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me for him to get to sixty goals, which is just what a great achievement. If he well, yeah, I, I don't know that we'll, we'll we'll see it again. I mean, interesting that you call him a tapping merchant after that flying scissor kick goal on Saturday against uh, Southampton. Uh, not sure that was a tapping, but yeah, I get your point. And actually, that's exactly what Man City needed. If you go back over the last three years. It was crying out for that old fox in the box, someone that's just there doing exactly that. I mean, I, I, I can even imagine a Jermaine Defoe from the past, you know, just someone that just just in and around the box. Just well, so they had a Sergio Aguero, right? That that was that was the the player they had. Although he scored some worldies, ultimately you just need somebody putting in all these wonderful balls from the Mares, the Bruyners, the Fodens, the the Silvers. That they've got so much, you just need somebody in the right spot, don't you? Yeah, and like I said, it's a skill, isn't it, to have that, to know where to stand, to anticipate the ball coming in, 
you know, it's, it is what a forward's job is meant to be. But the better you are at that, the more goals you score. And, and it's no surprise that it falls to him in the box. So it's not just luck. He's standing in the right places, anticipating the ball, anticipating the players around him. And he's just phenomenal. And how old is he? Is he 21? Like, that's just yeah. frightening. He's He has got the potential to be unbelievable. Not that he isn't already, but wow. Just imagine five years' times with more development, more training. Like, oh my God, he could be well, unbelievable. He won't be in the Premier League in five years' time. That, that That's pretty much an, a, an unkept secret. He'll be playing for Real Madrid. But uh, nonetheless, uh, what, what a fantastic career he's got in front of him. And as long as he stays injury-free, uh, I can't see anything stopping him. I think he's going to be an absolute phenomenon for a long way to go. Now, we move on to the, the second game, which which really is at the other end of the league. Obviously, we spent quite a lot of, bit of time there talking about you know who's going to be the champions. On Sunday afternoon, uh, before the, the, the mighty Liverpool-Arsenal game, there, there was a game that was, was just as interesting and intriguing, but in a different way. And you know, I suppose I have to put my hands up and say, for a while I've been talking about Crystal Palace's potential relegation fodder. I was talking about Roy Hodgson being, what an absolute joke of an appointment. But they went to Leeds, which is historically, arguably a difficult place to go. And they came out with a 5-1. I think that's probably more goals than Crystal Palace has scored since the beginning of November in all of their games combined. And it could have been more. I'm now saying that Crystal Palace are safe and Roy Hodgson was one of the appointments of the season. What would you think? I'd agree. I think, uh, you know, when, when you look back at it, we both thought it was a bit of a strange appointment, but now we look logically, you know, you know, he knows what the league's about and he's a pretty solid manager. What I didn't like about them appointing him was this, the change of style from Vieira, who was, you know, is typically an, an aggressive front foot manager to Roy Hodgson, who's quite defensive. But those players have played for him before, so they know what he's about. So actually looking back, it was, a, you know, it's a pretty solid appointment, isn't it? But they've picked up two, two wins. Scored a lot of goals. <coughs> Excuse me. Scored a lot of goals. And yeah, I think they're safe now. I agree. You know, they're going to pick up a couple of points here and there. And the other teams around them aren't picking up points. So you could be looking at 36 points, 38 points to stay safe, which they just need three to five points in the next, what, eight games. It's not a lot to ask. They're in good form. Yeah, I the, think they're the safe. The interesting thing for me was that Crystal Palace, who have been, you know, Let's, let's, has it has it had an absolutely horrendous season period? Are now only six points beneath Chelsea. Now this weekend Chelsea play Brighton, and this weekend Crystal Palace play Southampton. You could invariably see Brighton beating Chelsea. That that wouldn't be a surprise anymore. And you could see Crystal Palace going Southampton and getting a result there based off what they've just done to Leeds. That means that Crystal Palace are three points. Comes close to play Saturday. Three points behind Chelsea. That's mind blowing. It is mind blowing. I think it shows you how poor Chelsea have been as well, doesn't it? Considering you know, like me and you were both in the camp a few weeks ago that Palace are in trouble, and now they potentially could be three points off them after this game week. It shows you how poor Chelsea have been. Which, I mean, we've spoken about them a lot, haven't they? They're, they've been very poor this year. They've been hit and miss. That you know, they've gone play one good game and beat somebody, and then lose the next three, which they've done recently. I think it just highlights the standard of the league as well, doesn't it? Where you've got Chelsea spending that much money, but you've got Palace who have been so poor, which actually aren't far off them. So it, I think it highlights how good the league is, how strong the league is in general. Um, 
and it makes it entertaining, doesn't it? That we know that the teams at the bottom can go to those. Yeah, I think points. it's I think it's just a, a crazy season that, that actually, like you said, about sort of how many points to stay up. I think it could be could be quite a low number, but there are still so many of those teams to play each other that actually, you know, just a couple of wins could actually see that number, you know, jump jump quite high. And if, for example, if, if Southampton were to beat Crystal Palace this weekend, you know, because Southampton are the ones that are looking like they're being cut adrift with on twenty three points four points clear of the drop zone and not a favourable goal difference. But if they could win on Saturday, all of a sudden that's going to clog all of that right back up again. And you could invariably see Leicester at Stone Cold Bottom because again, I don't want to talk about where we're going with this, but we both think that Man City are probably going to beat Leicester this weekend. And so actually all of a sudden, you know, 25 points at the bottom. But then you see with Leicester bringing in a new, you know, management team till the end of the season. I can see Leicester having a bit of an uptick. I think they've made some good appointments there. And so actually... You know, we're talking about 36, but, but there could be a lot of things. That final day could be really interesting, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think you got us where we where it was a nine-team relegation battle. I think we will be moving away from that where a few teams do win games and, and sort of drag themselves away from that. So it could be sort of five or six teams. Um, but like you said, a couple of wins here and there for, you know, like exactly what Palace have done. You take six points off them that they've won recently and you, that puts them on 27 which puts them in the relegation zone yeah. or just or on the same amount of points. So it is that tight um, and it does make it interesting going into the last game of the season because I think that, like you've just said, there'll be five or six teams fighting relegation, which will be the most interesting relegation. Oh, go on, look, look, we do it every week. Who, who are your five or six that are in that battle now then? So I'm going to be really boring and say the current bottom three. I can't see past those three. Um Going down, to be honest, I think Everton will have enough with their home support and with Deitch. Um, Leeds, even though they got battered by Palace, their first half was really good and they have been picking up points, haven't they? They have been scoring goals. So I think they'll have enough. Bournemouth, I've said for a few weeks now, they've got a lot of fight about them. I, I watched their game um, last week against Leicester and even though I don't think they have a lot of quality, they were fighting as a team and I think that's going to be enough to keep them up. West Ham picking up points here and there, aren't they? Still look, to me, they look a poor side, but they are picking up points here and there. Um, and I, I've said for ages, I think Wolves will have enough. So Wolves and Palace, to me, are safe. I think they'll pick up enough points. So for me, Southampton, Leicester. And yeah, it's, it's really it's really interesting. I think, you know, you look at this weekend and we'll come on to it in more detail, but West Ham play Arsenal. You can see Arsenal winning that. Leeds play Liverpool. You can see Liverpool winning that. Notts Forest play Man U. You can see Man U winning that. So there's three aways, potentially. All of a sudden, Bournemouth going to Spurs. I mean, you know, Brighton should have beat Spurs comfortably last weekend, but you know, Bournemouth, you know, it's a tough place for a team like Bournemouth to go and Palace Southampton. So all of a sudden, actually, that Palace Southampton game stands out like, like potentially a real deal breaker that we could lose. You know, if 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 Southampton lose that, or if Southampton could win that game, that, that could really clog. Because again, like I say, I see I see Man, I see Notts Forest losing, I see Leeds losing, I see West Ham losing. So. And really, this could be a really, really big weekend to shape who is actually still left in it or not. Yeah, if um, if Palace can beat Southampton, I think that's a, that's done and dusted. Let's say um, Southampton. This is, I think, this is their biggest game of the season coming up. If they can beat Crystal Palace and put themselves twenty six points, they're still in the relegation zone, but then they're not cut adrift. I think if they can't win today, they're they're cut adrift and they're sealed as down for me. So huge game for Southampton. They have to win. I don't even think a point is good enough, really. 
they're still their goal difference isn't good enough, is it, for a point to make any difference? So I think they have to win, um, and I think that'll make it a really interesting game of football. Palace on you know bit of form, so should be interesting. I imagine there'll be quite well. A let's goals. let's let's hold fire. Let's not give away too many clues. Let's let's, let's we'll come back to that because first of all, we've got to touch on some some unsung heroes, and 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 you've gone with. Uh, well, to be fair, someone that's been doing it for a while, you know, I think the, the supporters of the team that he plays for have been singing his praises for a while, but you're, you're, you're championing him to get more praise across the board. Yeah, so I wouldn't really say he's unsung and people sort of don't know about him and last week's game highlighted how important he was. So it's Aaron Ramsdale, Arsenal goalkeeper. Um, I just think in general this season, he's been so solid, exactly what Arsenal needed. Um, he's generally just a top goalkeeper. He's got great presence and personality about him too, which I think has rubbed off on the squad. Um, when he was originally signed, everybody was laughing at Arsenal, weren't they? They were saying, why on earth have you signed him? He's been relegated twice. And generally, it, it, Arsenal were a laughing stock. But it just shows you, if you get relegated, you can still sign good players from those teams. Just because just you've been relegated, it's not on an individual. Um, and to me, I think he's England's best goalkeeper right now. So I, I actually think he is England's number one. Um, but the saves he made against Liverpool highlighted just how important he is. But also, his ability with his feet is very underrated as well. He does start attacks, a bit like Jordan Pickford. He's probably not got as much of a ping as Jordan Pickford, but the ability with his feet, he's pinging it out to the fullbacks quickly to get Arsenal moving very quickly up the pitch. And I think if you're a top side now, you have to have that goalkeeper who can do that, which is sort of where De Gea has been struggling, hasn't he, recently, even though he's a great shot stopper. Um, Ramsdale has that ability. So for me, he's been a great signing and a big reason. It's an interesting point about keepers and their feet because, you know, without one sounds uh, controversial, most goalkeepers are goalkeepers because they're not great with their feet. You know, it's just a, it's just a natural kind of thing that happens. And even at youth football now, it's become a real problem for goalkeepers where everybody wants to play Pep Guardiola's way, you know, from under 10s <laughs> right the way through. And actually now, the pressure on a goalkeeper to be able to be good with his feet, and you know, you talk about Pickford, but Edison is the first one that comes to my mind of, 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 a, of a goalkeeper that could probably play in the 10 role if he needed to. Uh, they're just so few and far between. But, you know, you look at Nick Pope. Nick Pope looks uncomfortable taking a goal kick. You know, Nick Pope looks like he's struggling to, to, to boot the ball up the pitch. And we're now asking him to play, you know, one touch against the press where you've got a Haaland or a whoever it is, you know, bearing down on you. It's it's a really interesting dynamic now, isn't it? The goalkeeper role is is changing forever based on having to start the play. Yeah, and I, but I think your manager comes into that, doesn't he? If you recognise your goalie isn't the best with his feet, just get them to be a goalie. And I think that's what Newcastle have done, haven't they? They don't actually try and play a lot of football from the back. You know, Pope does have that licence just to boot it when he needs to. Whereas Man City, the direction is you must play football and that's the reason they've got Edison. So I think your manager's stance on that dictates also how they how they play. And it's not really a good idea to get, like you said, Pope to play football, is it? But yeah, the more that teams want to play football, that's now a requirement of your goalkeeper. And if you haven't got that, you won't be going to teams like your Man City's, your Arsenal's, if you haven't got that ability. Well, Brighton have just dropped a goalkeeper that everybody's raving about to play Jason Steele because he's better with his feet. And that shows you actually, you know, how much deserve he puts on being able to keep possession and being part of the play and actually when you're trying to draw in the press to have a goalkeeper that can play creates an extra man, doesn't it? Like, you know, we'll talk about overloads now in football and that's why now we're playing with inverted fullbacks coming to the midfield space to actually have a goalkeeper that's 
uh, that technically gifted with his feet, you can't ever be overpressed. You can't ever be overloaded in the press. So it's an interesting thing that people are actually making, you know, big decisions now on who their goalkeeper's going to be based on how good they are with their feet, not their hands. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's a few goalies to highlight who it's affected them where teams have actually tried to play football and they've not got the, the goalie to, to do that. I know Leicester, Danny Ward struggled. I know Hugo Larissa struggled at times, hasn't he? He's given away a few clangers trying to pass the ball out. David De Gea is one. And, you know, there's quite a few, really. You can go through a lot of the teams and go, they just don't have that person to do that. So managers, I think, are now going back to your goalie is a goalie. So, you know, Ward's been replaced by Everson for Leicester. Um, De Gea has now just been instructed to boot it. You can see that mo- more often. He is just whacking it up the field, which suits him more than trying to play. So I think managers are sort of reviewing their goalkeepers now and the style of play that they require from them. But like I said, if you are that sort of goalie, you won't be going to Pep. You won't be going to, to Liverpool, to Arsenal, if you haven't got that ability. Yeah, it's just really interesting. I'd say, I think got the goalkeeper role is, is, is a role that is evolving almost as quickly as the fullback role, you know, and, and we, we talk about, you know, Trent maybe now playing in a midfield role because, you know, then it's just interesting for me to watch how football evolves. I mean, it's like everything, it's like fashion, you know, essentially it's all the same, just slightly different. But, you know, that goalkeeper role, you know, when I was growing up, you know, the ball would get rolled back to the goalkeeper who'd pick it up, you know, bounce it 47 times, drop it on the floor, wait for the centre forward to run to him, pick it back up again, bounce it. You know, and you spend five minutes in the last five minutes of any sort of cup game of any importance with the goalkeeper rolling around in his own area, keeping hold of the ball. How far that that position has had to come in such a short space of time. And again, obviously the rule changes have helped, but those forward-thinking managers that are looking to create, you know, essentially an overload with a goalkeeper. I think it's really interesting. And, and, you know, if you're a young goalkeeper out there, you know, you need to now spend as much time with your feet as you do with your hands. You know, if, if, if you're being coached and if you're playing for a team, you know, go and get involved in the rondos, go and get involved in the one-touch passing because that's going to really help you stand out as a young goalkeeper as you move forward, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think just one, one other thing to highlight on Ramsdale is we've mentioned his personality and his presence. If you look at the teams in the Premier League, how many of them have goalkeepers as captains? So I know, I mean, you can name a couple. Lloris is one, isn't he? Um, Schmeichel at Leicester used to be. But I think that's really important now as well, that you've got some personality as a goalkeeper. If you are just sort of a, you know, a quiet person in goal, it doesn't really cut it now. You have to have more personality, you know, be able to dictate that back four, you know, whether you want them high up the pitch or in a low block, or if you're coming for a cross, you need to be able to, everyone needs to hear you coming. So I think that's something to highlight for Ramsdale. He definitely has that and has imprinted his personality on that squad. And I think going forward to the goalkeeper, you keep mentioning it's evolving. It definitely is. But I think that's one thing as well, which is evolving with it, is the personality needed to be a goalkeeper. You need to be able to stamp your authority on that defence. And also, you know, give people confidence that you are that that goalkeeper who's got that personality. It's in interestingly, you know, we spoke speak about captains and being good with the feet and goalkeepers in England. And Jordan Pickford does all of that as well, doesn't he? Actually, you know, Jordan Pickford's got a lovely left foot on him. He's uh, got a real personality. You can see he he doesn't mind a bit of banter with the with the crowd, with the fans. He doesn't mind uh, giving his centre backs or full backs an absolute earful if he feels they've made a mistake. Can get involved with the play. And at the moment, is in the form of his life. You know, he's making some great saves. You know, obviously, needs to play in a in an Everton team that, that 
that do give away chances. But actually, you know, what what a position for England to have those two goalkeepers as you know fighting out for one and two. We're, we're in a you know where it felt like not that long ago we were kind of going, oh my god, England haven't got any, don't produce any goalkeepers anymore. It feels like that's that's changed really quickly. Yeah, very quickly. And you've, we've mentioned Pope, haven't we? He's probably not the ball-playing goalkeeper, oh. but he's a very good goalkeeper, shot-stopper. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good for England. So, for Unsung Hero, I, I've gone with somebody that's, again, like you say, these aren't these aren't people you've never heard of, right? You know, they're all Premier League football players, so we're just trying to shine a light on people that may be. Uh, but I'm going with uh, someone that's that's really, when he came into the club, was a laughing stock. You know, big money, didn't work, came in as a centre-forward, didn't score goals. New manager comes in, plays him in central midfield, and he's become an absolute beast. And it's Joe Linton at Newcastle. You know, they did something at the weekend that had never happened to Brentford in the Premier League stay by, you know, losing a game, they take the lead in. Uh, and Joe Linton was a huge, huge part of that. And actually, if you listen to the Newcastle guys, you know, when they do any kind of interview and they talk about who's the best player at training, they all come back with Joe Linton. They're like, you can't get around him. He's an absolute beast. He's ginormous. You know, his work rate's second to none. You know, and for me, looking on the outside, you know, he was somebody that when they signed him, I, I didn't really get it and he wasn't a centre forward. But my God, what a shift he puts in and what a, you know, Newcastle are going to get Champions League football, in my opinion, with, you know, Sean Longstaff and Joe Linton in midfield. If you'd have told me that 18 months ago, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah, yeah, you would have, wouldn't you? Say that there were two players who, 18 months ago, if you could sell them, at half the price that they were bought. I know Longstaff's an academy product, isn't he? But you'd have you'd snap the hands off, wouldn't you? You'd have just got them out the door, got the wages off the books. But both of them look quality at the minute. And actually, both of them scoring goals as well, aren't they? They're actually contributing with goals, which, again, was just never the case. Um, Howe's done a great job with Joe Linton, hasn't he? He's obviously recognised the qualities that he's got and actually then said, actually, you, su you suit midfield more than attack. And he's actually now added goals to his game, hasn't he? Which is ironic, considering he's moving backwards. But... Um, he, he's been a, a key reason of, of their progression of the table, hasn't he? He's, he's that, like you said, he's a beast in midfield, which once you've got somebody like that who can put a shift in, but he's strong, can't get the ball off him, wins the ball back well. A lot of teams lack that player. So actually having him in the squad. Yeah, and, and it's interesting it's for me, when you look at a centre-forward that doesn't work as a centre-forward, it's almost like they know, they feel the pressure of having to be a goal scorer. And actually that can sometimes create too much for them mentally, which therefore it becomes a problem. But the minute you say, right, you're no longer a centre forward, you don't need to score goals, you can actually do other stuff. They actually score more goals because, you know, in, in my line of work, you know, quite often you'd have a salesperson that doesn't do many sales as a salesperson, but you change their job role, they do loads of sales because the pressure isn't to be sales anymore. And so for Joe Linton, he feels like someone that he's, he's had that kind of um, mental block freed by saying you don't need to score goals anymore. You can just be a superb football player, you know, putting in effort and running around the pitch. And now the goals are coming off the back of that. It's a really weird way around. But you're right, him dropping back actually opens him up more as an attacking threat. Yeah, I think what's what's worked in his favour as well is obviously the takeover. So I think before that, he was their record signing. And for Newcastle at that point, spending that amount of money on him, it probably weighed heavy on his shoulders. But then having the new owners come in and all there was talk about them signing Mbappe, wasn't there, for 200 million, all of a sudden his transfer fee looks tiny. So I think that's helped him a lot as well, is he's now not recognised as the, the record sign and huge outlay because it's just been forgotten about. Yeah, so I definitely we, we all forget, don't we, when we talk about football players, 
they are human beings. You know, they go through a range of emotions in a week. You know, they have an argument with their partner. You know, they have a new baby. They get the cold or the flu or, you know, they feel poorly or they, they just don't feel engaged or actually, you know, the crowd of, you know, kind of ruin them a little bit or whatever it is. You know, we, we just expect football players, bizarrely, to be machines where we just, you know, you turn up and you must give an eight out of 10 performance every week, not understanding all of that external influence and nerves that come in that might actually make it really bleeding difficult to do your job. Yeah, a lot of people forget that, don't they? A prime example is when if somebody's not performing on the pitch and you've got the fans yelling at them, certain personalities will react one way or the other, won't they? They'll either go into the shell or they'll start working harder. I think we do forget that they're, they're humans and actually that's where good managers come in. Don't well, imagine every mistake you make at work. If, if there were 60,000 people sit behind you saying, singing horrible songs about you and your family, it might put you off your, your keyboard a little bit, might it? I mean, it's very easy to be the one telling other people that they're making mistakes, but it's very difficult when they're all screaming and shouting at you. I tell you what, it's difficult for me to say that without swearing, by the way, but I managed it. So that's a feather in the cap. Uh, Yeah, look, like I say, I think it's... uh, I think it's nice for us to talk about players that aren't, you know, the Harlands and the Canes that everyone knows are doing some fantastic stuff. And again, I think it's important to keep that 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 sort of mantra going because ultimately, you know, these players, you know, some of them are making a real difference that that, that might go a little bit under the radar. So yeah, two good ones this week. Enjoyed that. We now move on to uh, obviously the next game week. Loads of interesting games, kind of maybe not the big blockbusters that we've seen recently. There's no, you know, Arsenal, Liverpool. There's no. Man City, Man United, etc. But there's some really, really interesting games this week. So, what's the first game that you've gone for this weekend, Fran? So, we've got a few here, haven't we? We've picked three out here. So, the first one is the early kickoff, which is Villa versus Newcastle. Um, we've picked this one just because Villa are flying. I think they're third in the form table, sixth in the league. And actually, when you look at it now, they might be the ones challenging for that. Not probably top four. They probably left it a little bit too late. But with the form they're in, it's possible. And then you've got Newcastle, um, who again have picked up and now, like you said, are favourites for that Champions League spot. So I think this is is a, a, a really interesting game. Early kickoff, anything can happen, as we say. Um, if Villa win, it opens up Champions League football for them because they've beaten a, a competitor for that spot. And if Newcastle win, I think it's safe to say that it's probably sealed the position for them, hasn't it? So a couple more wins, and I think they they could be over the line because the other two teams are in a bit in different form in Man U and Spurs. But yeah, interesting game for me. Two teams in form. Um, I think we'll probably see both teams score. That's the way that both teams have been going recently. Look, so yeah, interesting I, game. I, I came on in last week and, and, and cheated somewhat by saying that my unsung hero was was a manager in, in, in Emery. Uh, I must also say, by the way, that I was completely underwhelmed with the appointment of Eddie Howe at Newcastle when they did that. I thought that was almost as bad as uh, Roy Hodgson going into Crystal Palace. I, I thought it was absolutely bonkers. Uh, but both those managers are doing such a great job that you'd have to say that if a Man U, Man City, or, you know, one of the big clubs they'd have to be in the, in the mix now. You know, you'd have to be looking at these managers. They're doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And what... what go on, sorry. Go on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just going to say on the Unai Emery point is he got such a, a bad rap. You know, fair, unfair reputation. You know, however you want to word it. When yeah. he was at Arsenal. 
he's a good manager, isn't he? Like what he's done at Villarreal, you know, he's won the European, the, the Euro <laughs> Cup or whatever it's called. Europa League, that's the one. Europa League, he's won it, what, three times? You're not a bad manager if you do that. Like He's a top, top manager. So getting him was a masterstroke, wasn't it, for Villa? And it just shows you what, you know, by having good managers at your club, what they can do. And that's proven. And, and, and it goes back to that, that conversation wow. we just had around. Just because you're amazing football player or manager at Club X, whatever the club is, it's irrelevant what the club is, but you know what I'm saying, Club X, it doesn't mean you can go and pick that up and drop that straight into Club Y. There's so many factors that go behind the scenes in this is that, you know, we, we all just forget that, you know, moving countries, learning a new language, you know, different temp- weather, you know, have your family come over with you as well, you know, are they staying back, living in a hotel for months on end, you know, all of these things can have a factor on whether you, you can adapt and adjust to a new club and a new team. And what I love, go on, sorry. Yeah. So I was just, just going to add in there something that you say quite a lot. It's about people, isn't it? It's all about the people. So bringing in just a manager, you might not have the people around you, your coaches, your support staff, your physios, all of those sorts of things. So actually, like you say all the while, bringing in the people around the manager as well, getting that right, makes a big difference. And I think that's what yeah, and, and teams have done. What I'd like to say for, for Unai Emery particularly is, is, you know, it feels like a player that, again, maybe actually I, I shouldn't talk about now, we'll say for next week, but, you know, Tyrone Mings at the start of the season, Aston Villa fans were absolutely killing him. You know, absolutely terrorising every single decision he made. If you remember, he was left out of the squad. There was some behind-the-scenes trouble, apparently. You know, obviously not there. You know, he's had to really kind of go through the mill. But Aston Villa defensively have become absolutely rock solid. You know, they, they rarely concede a goal. You know, if you're looking for, for, for cheap, fancy players, by the way, you know, look at Aston Villa defenders. They're a good shout. They, they, they pick up lots of clean sheets. And I just want to say that I love it when managers come in and they make the players that they've got better or they change the system to, to suit the players they've got. You know, it looks like Aston Villa are now playing a 4-4-2. I know that, you know, with modern football, that could easily be a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-2-3-1. But, you know, essentially it's an old school 4-4-2 and he's just got his players doing the right things in the right way. And I just think that it's going to be a really interesting game. And like you say, if, if Villa can win, are they in with a shout? Maybe a bit, like you say, a bit late. But nonetheless, starting to beat teams like Newcastle. They beat Spurs earlier in the season. They've had some, you know, Arsenal were, I'm going to say lucky, but certainly fortunate to beat them not that long ago. You know, Villa, if they keep going on this trajectory, next season could be a real, you know, dark horse to, to cause some, some trouble. Yeah, I think so. It's um, the form they're in and what, like you said, a sign of a good manager is coming in and making the players you've got better. It's not a checkbook manager, is it, where you're coming in and going, I'm going to buy a new 11. Not When I say anyone could do that, you get the point. Anyone can do that. But coming in and making the players that you've got better, what he's done at Villa, that's the sign of a good manager. And like you said, a couple of signings, getting those players all involved in the structure of play, how they play, they could be a threat next year. They really could. So they've got a bit of cash behind them as well, haven't they? The owner's the owner's not. It's got a few quid, so they could be chucking a, a bit of cash around to try and disrupt that top four. Yeah, so the, yeah, only, it's the only caveat we've got on picking that as a game week is the early kickoff on Saturday. It'll be nil nil ball draw, and uh, <laughs> it'll kill all of your accumulators, whichever way you go, because it always does. The early kickoff on a Saturday never goes how you expect it to be. So we've got next fixture. We've touched on it briefly: Southampton versus Palace. You know. I can't think of a more important game this weekend, if I'm honest with you, in terms of the long-term success or, 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 or chance of a, of a club 
I was really, really, really impressed with Crystal Palace at the weekend. I really thought Leeds would win that game. Uh, I thought the enthusiasm that Eze and Elise played with them. I mean, Michael Elise looked like a new player. Like He looked like he'd been re-energised, whatever Roy Hodgson said to him before the game or gave him for his pre-match meal. I'd be doing that every week because he looked he looked like the player that we thought he could be when, when they signed him. Uh, Leeds didn't have an answer. You know, Leeds are, are sort of historically known as being this high press, high thunder, you know, lots of noise from the fans kind of a team. And I just thought that Crystal Palace weathered that storm and then almost sucked them in and then went bang. And, and like I say, it was 5-1, but it could have easily been 6 or 7. And that feels like a crazy thing to say about a Crystal Palace team that have struggled to score goals, especially when you think Wilfred Zaha wasn't even in the team. Yeah, and I think the the thing to highlight about the Palace players is they seem to be spreading them around, don't they, in the past few weeks. I don't think many players have got a brace or anything. It seems to be they have spread them around. So I know Edouard got one. I think um, Eze got one, didn't he? So they are spreading the goals around, and I think that's really important for the team's confidence for them. So, yeah, they're, they're playing really well. But I think the team to look at here is Southampton, because I, th- I think we both agree that Palace are probably safe now or will be safe so Southampton are the team to analyse here and they are struggling big time and with Palace picking up with the team full of confidence this could go it could be a bad day for Southampton but they have been fighting and picking up points recently so that's why I think this game's interesting it could have a bit of you know Southampton fight about it and Palace yeah, if, if you're a Southampton supporter really you want to be playing teams like Crystal Palace okay and actually Maybe, crazy idea, maybe now we're saying that Crystal Palace are safe, maybe they turn it down a bit. Maybe they take their after ball a little bit because they now feel comfortable. They've, they've got their, you know, like we said last week, that very few teams have got their flip-flops on already, which is unusual at this stage of the season. You know, arguably Chelsea are one of the only teams that can't go up and aren't going to go down, right? You know, there's, there's nothing for them really to play for other than the Champions League. But now maybe Crystal Palace have got themselves in that mindset where they've just beaten a, 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 a what was a relegation uh, competitor, and maybe this is the perfect time for Southampton to go and play Man City. Man City, that was who they played last week. So, perfect time to go and play Crystal Palace because actually, you know, I think the young manager that's come in there has done quite a good job. They've got some really good young players. Like, again, we don't want to keep using the word young, but but they are a very young team. And, you know, Lavia in midfield is a player that I know lots of big teams have got their eyes on. You know, James Ward-Prowse is a player that if Southampton do go down, he's not going to go down with them that, unless he chooses to. You know, some one of the big six are definitely having a look at some of these players. So I think this could be the perfect time for South, uh, for Southampton to play Crystal Palace. And, 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 and maybe, like we say, if they can get the win... Uh, it might just make that, that that back end of the season even more interesting than it already is. Yeah, I think I think they have to get the win here because I say if they if they do lose, it's going to be very hard for them to stay up. They're, they're going to be cut adrift, aren't they? Especially if another couple of teams above them pick up some points, they could be looking like they're being cut adrift. But like I said, they've got a young young team, and with young teams, you can sometimes have a really good performance, can't you? You can be a bit. Um, indifferent with your form and your performances. So, um, so you mentioned a couple of players there. Another one they've got is Livramento, which I know last year was absolutely tearing it up, wasn't he, from right back. So they've got a lot of young players. And with like I said, with that, sometimes they don't have that fear. Um, so, yeah, this is this could be really interesting. And I think with the two teams, you know, both of them still need a win. Let's be honest, Palace aren't actually out of it. You know, they get the looking that way, but they're not actually out of it. So. Yeah, interesting. For, for me, yeah, no, I think actually Southampton are lacking a forward. I think Southampton, you know, 
you kind of want to have a, you know, like what's happened to Jay Adams, you know, like they need somebody to sort of hang their hat on. And interestingly, someone that they've, they've sent out on loan, now I appreciate the championship is a different quality to the Premier League, I'm not stupid, but Nathan Teller is doing some absolute bits in the championship with Burnley. And you just wonder whether actually if they'd have kept hold of him, could he be doing some damage in the Premier League? Because for me, they're just lacking that, that little bit of, you know, unless it's from a set piece from James Ward-Prowse, like where are their goals coming from? You know, Theo Walcott, you know, again, I think it's fair to say his, his best days are behind him. You know, to be honest with you, the, the two centre-forwards in, in Suleimana and, and Alcaraz could be great players, but, you know, I, I've definitely not seen enough of them to think they're going to tear the Premier League up. And so actually maybe they've just let one of their, their, their homegrown players go out on loan a little bit early that might, be able to, might have been able to help them stay up. Yeah, and, and do you know what? You mentioned the centre-forward. It's obviously a key position. That's obvious. You need to score goals. But when you look at the teams, you know, from Palace down, when you look at all of those teams and go, who is their centre-forward? That's the reason they're down there. Because you, you go through most of those teams, they don't have that person who's been scoring goals, actually, when you look at all of them. You know, Leeds have Bamford, but he's not been scoring. Uh, you know, Bournemouth have Solanke. He's not really prolific. West Ham have got some forwards, but again, not prolific. So I think that's the reason those teams are there is, when you look at the teams above them, Fulham have Mitrovic, Brentford have Tony, you know, and that's that. They're the next couple of teams up from that sort of uh, top half of the league. That's the key point, though, isn't it? Is they don't have the goal scorers, which are then turning your your draws into oh, wins. Or, or Chelsea would give their left draws. arm for a number nine, right? Chelsea would 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 pay. Well, I dread to think how much Chelsea would pay. I mean, obviously, you ought to just bring Lukaku back, but Chelsea would are absolutely crying out for something. We just look at Everton, Dominic Calvert Lewin being out for as long as he's been out. You know, if he'd have been fit for the whole season, I don't think they'd be as low as they are. You know, Leicester synonymous with with, with Vardy, but actually, you've got Ian Asher and Daka, who, when Leicester signed Daka, I was very excited about that. You know, if you've ever played football manager. You know, he was he was one of them players that you, you definitely it was expecting. And so, like you rightly say, it is about having that that cold-blooded centre forward that just puts the ball in the back of the net and they're worth the weight in gold, aren't they? And actually, you know, I think in the summer, like you rightly say, there's gonna be a lot of teams looking for a a number nine. You know, again, let's not get down and up because everyone's changed now, because it could be a nine or a, is he playing off the but you know, <laughs> playing deeper. But but you know, everyone's gonna be looking, you know, Wolves are another team that could Crystal Palace, you know, all these teams are looking for centre forwards that are going to score goals. Yeah, and and I think Leicester are the one to highlight there. As you mentioned, Vardy, he's been scoring twenty goals, fifteen goals a season, hasn't he? They've now dried up, and look what it's done to Leicester. So, I think, like you said, all of those players will be looking for a forward who can get them ten goals. Ten goals in the Premier League is worth the weight in gold. So they were looking for that player, and I said. We've mentioned before, you don't need to look far. There's players in the championship, isn't there, who are scoring goals, who can step up. All that It's a skill to be able to score goals and you can do that in any league. It's not like a, a defender or a winger where you might need that extra bit of class. Forwards who score goals in any league generally can step up. So I think a lot of these clubs need to be looking a, a bit closer to home in the lower leagues. There's a player, I can't pronounce his name, so forgive me, but you, you can all go and find him. He's playing for Coventry currently. Uh he, he he looks a real handful, and it's it's interesting. Like being a youth team coach, it's really interesting to 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 know where the FA have taken coaching. And if you look at England, maybe 15, 20 years ago, we didn't produce many quality, technically gifted midfield players. 
but we always had a Gary Lineker, a, you know, Jermaine, whoever it was, you know, these centre forwards that could score goals. And we always had tough tackling defenders going back to John Terry, Tony Adams, Rio Ferdinand, whoever it was. We've always created, you know, good defenders in a centre forward. The way the FA have taken coaching now, actually, it's becoming a real problem because actually we're not producing centre forwards and defenders. We're producing a whole bunch of amazing midfield players because of the way coaching is. And so it's going to be a really interesting piece to, to you know, if you, again, if you're a youngster out there playing football, you know, to, to go and embed yourself in defending or being a centre forward, you're actually going to stand out really because there's not a lot of them coming through anymore based on the way that coaches are coaching. Yeah, I agree. And you can see that we mentioned in the England, uh, when we covered England, didn't we, in the international break, about players who could step up into the squad. Yeah. And from the forward perspective, it was pretty bare, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't a lot. I think there was the lad from France, um, the lad from France, Sip Balogun. Um, he was really the only sort of one who we could see coming through. But again, you've got all those teams down the bottom half of the league. Go and get Balogun. He's proved he's a goal scorer. Go and get him. Whether Arsenal will let him go is a different story. But... 15, 20 million, Arsenal might be willing to, to take it well, and take that money. And I, I don't want to call myself an in the no, because that's a risky game to be in. As, as as you know from stuff I've given you in the past where I've told you it's going to happen and you couldn't put some money in it and it has happened. Uh, there's no such thing as an in the football. But what, what, I, what I've heard is that he's absolutely available in the summer. Uh, he, wants to play, he wants to play first thing football. Eddie and Ketty and Gabriel Jesus aren't going anywhere. So Arsenal will look to move him on to raise some funds. Now, the problem you're going to have as a, let's assume, I don't know, Crystal Palace stay up and looking for is that there are some big clubs sniffing around like Cervasi Milan are having a look at him. Uh, but if you move quickly, you know, pay the bucks, like you just said, you know, it could be the difference between staying in the Premier League and not staying in the Premier League. So if you have to overpay by five million to get him in, I think it'd be a very shrewd piece of business. Homegrown player, you know, England, you know, potential England international I think it could be an absolute game changer for one of these teams to go and get him on board. Yeah, I, I think so. And you've mentioned uh, you mentioned the the, uh, the lad at Coventry, didn't you? I'm going to have a go at his name. I think it's Gakores, but he looks a, a top player as well. Like everybody is raving about him, and he's he's playing for Coventry in the Championship, who are probably mid-table. So there's a lot of players who are scoring goals who lower league teams can look at. They just need to be brave yep. and, and go for it. And an example of that a couple of years ago was Mitrovic. Fulham got promoted. Everyone was saying how good he was in the Championship. They bombed, didn't they, in, in the Premier League when they came up, let's be honest. And, and he wasn't particularly good. But that wasn't actually down to him as an individual. It was around about the team. Whereas now, they've come up with a better team around him. He's getting chances and he's scoring goals. Nobody's going to be able to prize him away cheaply now. Whereas a year or two ago, you might have been able to get him for 10 or 15 million when they got relegated again. And he was a proven goal scorer at championship level, breaking records. So these lower lower half teams of the Premier League, and, and even to an extent, some of the teams in the top half, need to be a bit braver and take a risk on you know a cheaper player in the championship, possibly even League One. There's players out there who are scoring goals. So the scouting needs to be a little bit better rather than looking for you know a Lewandowski or someone like that who just isn't, you're not going to get them. We need to be a bit brave well, before we move on there are two shining them. examples of that with Ollie Watkins and even Tony who are banging in goals in the Premier League that came through uh, the lower leagues Jamie Vardy you mentioned a few times Ian Wright you know you just got to find somebody that has that passionate enthusiasm to put the ball in the back of net it should not matter where they've come from 
you know, I, I would like to think, and I say this many times, is that, you know, I'm very impressed with what Haaland's done. But I, I reckon if you put me in as a centre forward at Man City, I reckon I'd score you 15 goals a season just by being in the right place, just by the amount of quality around me. And you know, my knees are shot to pieces, Fran. I can barely walk. So, you know, if I think I can score 15 goals, you know, it is about finding the right fit for the, your jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, if you need, if you're going to play with, you know, lots of crosses, then a Mitrovic becomes a really great shout because he's dominant in the air. But if you're looking for that intricate through balls, you, you might need somebody that's a little bit quicker off the mark. And so, but yeah, I think this summer, as I keep saying, and we look forward to talking about it when we get there this summer, both from a managerial point of view, from a transfer point of view, is going to be electric, you could say, Frank. You could say it could be an electric summer, but obviously that would be corny, so we won't do that. Uh, the, the final game we, we, we want to touch on is, is West Ham Arsenal and obviously influencing both ends of the table. I think we both agree that if this is actually a tough game for Arsenal purely because it's a local derby. You know, West Ham still have something to play for. I think, you know, in norm- if that was, I don't know, Leicester-Arsenal and Leicester were in the West Ham's position, it wouldn't be such a difficult game for Arsenal. But because it's West Ham, because it's a London derby, it's at West Ham, you know, they've just had, you know, kind of a, a real up and down sort of absolute tonking at home. Uh, from from Newcastle, but then went to Fulham in the game that we all probably thought Fulham might be able to edge and then got the win. So, and again, if West Ham could win this, you'd have to say that if we think Palace are safe, you'd have to say West Ham are safe. So this becomes actually quite a difficult game for Arsenal having come off the back of that draw at Anfield, isn't it? Yeah, I think West Ham beating Fulham was a massive result for them. They'd still be on the same points as Forest and Everton in the relegation zone if they hadn't have picked up that win. And like you said, they got beat by Newcastle the week before or the game week before. So actually that result puts them in a better mind frame coming into this game. And they're now probably looking at Arsenal, seeing them drop points last week, thinking they might be able to get something here. I think if Arsenal would have won and West Ham would have lost against Fulham, you'd be looking at this game just going Arsenal banker. So I think it now has opened this game up as a possibility um, that Arsenal could drop points or West Ham could pick some points up. Um, and like you mentioned, London derby at West Ham. So now becomes a, an interesting game. Where I think yeah, it, it would not surprise me. And I've, I've, I've stayed clear of it this week in terms of predictions, but it would not surprise me to see this being another draw. You know, I, I, West Ham are just not going to lie down. You know, it's the two o'clock kickoff on Sunday. So, you know, again, it's one of them. It feels like a, a great time for West Ham to, to, to cause Arsenal some trouble. I can see it being... You know, teams sort of copying the Liverpool second half blueprint of being a bit more aggressive against Arsenal, being a bit more in their face, you know, being more direct. And I think that suits West Ham. That feels to me like the West Ham sort of blueprint should be really. You know, they feel like they've got a really big team in terms of height, you know, lots of crosses into the box. You know, when West Ham were at their best, you know, Thomas Suchek was scoring 12, 13 goals a season, all from corners and free kicks. When they like, you know, for me, I think if David Moyes has got anything about him, and he definitely does because he's a fantastic manager. You know, I can see them going back to that old school Everton West Ham formation that he plays and really just taking the game to Arsenal. I, th- I think that's what they've got to do, haven't they? If they keep going back to, I mean, every time I've watched them this year, I thought they've been really poor. There's been no intensity and fight about them. Whereas, even though they did get whooped by Newcastle, I did think the first 10 minutes West Ham were the better side. And if they can take that, that sort of style of play and energy and fight to the opposition and to Arsenal, that's how they're going to pick up points is by actually fighting and running and the intensity there. I think what's interesting about this game is the games before it. 
So where you've got Leicester are playing Wolves, Bournemouth, Southampton and Palace, if those teams lose, this is a real opportunity for them. So actually could lift them even more. Now, if the games go against them, they're obviously still going to try go out there and, and try and win and pick up points. But if they do have the opportunity to put some daylight between them and the, the teams below them, that could play into their favour even more. So I'd, I'd be even more willing to say yes, Arsenal, um, Arsenal could drop points. Well, in. either way, I'm, I'm really looking forward to another game week that's going to make us... Uh, Maybe not even any clear, if I'm honest with you, on all of those big decisions, but still, everything is still to play for. European places, league winners, and relegation. You know, I can't think of a season where all of them have been so up in the air this late in the season. So it's, it's getting very, very exciting. And I look forward to a Sunday afternoon in front of the telly to watch a whole bunch of football and hopefully uh, maybe pick some winners this week because that'd be nice. Well, yeah, I, thought, I need to pick you up on this. But before we do that, before we do that, because I think someone's using the, the rules, you know, someone's playing. <laughs> it's fine, it's cool, because it's all part of the game. Uh, getting cashed out on 2 nil up when they're not winning the game. But we, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we, we must we must talk. Normally, we, we like to talk about punch or something within the game. But uh, obviously, a, a really weird display from both the referee and the VAR assistants at the, the Tottenham Stadium against Brighton. You know, Brighton come away from that game somehow losing a game that, forgetting that they were the better team for, for practically the whole 90 minutes in terms of the play. You know, two goals disallowed somewhat dubiously and a penalty, Stonewall penalty not given. How how do they justify that for how, how, how We went from, you know, oh, this is going to stop those kind of obvious glaring mistakes that, that we, we used to get frustrated about. But I come away more frustrated because actually if you've got the technology and you can't use it properly, what's the point of having it? You might as well go back to square one. Uh, for me, I'd scrap it now. Uh, I, it doesn't add anything to the game. And that, that Spurs versus Brighton game was an absolute farce how those decisions were given against them. And then you've got VAR to check them and they weren't even checked. It's, it's just a joke. Um, the guy who annoyed me most is the is, is the ex-referee in the BT studio. And he was trying to stick up for VAR. And you, it's just it's just indefensible. Like, you can't yep. have those decisions. That penalty on Matoma was just a stone wall. Stone wall penalty. Like, any way you looked at it, they showed you three angles. He trodden his foot on every single angle. It was a penalty. And the fact that now Brighton have lost that game and quite possibly Champions League football has gone with that game is is a joke. Like Brighton have then put something into the FA, haven't they, to say, you know, we want an explanation for it. Well, whatever explanation they get back is not going to satisfy Brighton's requirements because Champions League football has possibly now gone for them because of the, the officiating. Um, sounds like I'm ranting here, but the officiating in this country is so poor. The VAR that's going with it is not helping them. It's actually highlighting how bad they are. So something needs to be done about it. And Howard Webb coming in to, to lead on that, I thought would have a great impact. It's not at all. So I, I honestly don't know where we go from here because we've tried new people. We've tried different things. To me, the logical step is to remove it, but that will never happen. I think it's here to stay. So I don't know how we improve this, but it needs to improve. There's so many things, aren't there, like say that they get influenced by by not winning a game that you should win. You know, uh, at my level, my bet had Brighton in it. You know, Brighton should have won uh, and it could have cost me, you know, if, if I was a serious gambler, which I'm definitely not, you know, I might have had a thousand pounds on Brighton to win because I thought the odds were good and, and Brighton should have won that game without a question. You, you, you kind of highlight the penalty, 
they scored two goals in my eyes, two pretty perfectly good goals. Like you know, I can't still can't work out why Matoma's goal was disallowed. You know, football's such a big part of life now. You talk about, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not as big as what you've just mentioned about missing out of Champions League, but but on the on the lowest level, fantasy football players missed out on points for Matoma that could cost them coming first. You know, people might have missed out on accumulators that put Brighton in there because Brighton absolutely dominated Spurs and should have won the game and they didn't. So then you look at bonuses for football players, you know, bonuses for chief exec. You know, I know that we don't care about the chief You know, there, there's so many things that get influenced by by poor decisions. And again, I, I actually, for me, I, I'm okay with it if it's human error and you, you kind of miss it and you kind of go in a game. There's so many things a referee has to, to worry about that he might have missed the Hoy BS, you know, we're going to call it a stamp, but you know what I'm saying? The, the, the Hoy Bier tread. But when you've got the ability to go back and watch it and you still don't highlight it, that actually makes it worse for me. Like you've actually irritated me more by having the chance to go back and look at it and correct it and not doing it than actually getting it wrong first time around. That's exactly where I am with it. I can accept a referee missing it in real time. You know, the, the human, you, you know, somebody may have ran across your vision, your line of vision. So, I'm I'm on that page as well. I can accept that from a referee. You know, it happens. But when you've got the VAR slowing it down, you know, times a hundred slower speed, you can see what's happened, and you're still not giving it. Like it's just it's just mind boggling to me. And I do, what I actually think, you know, there's a, there's a rumor sort of going around, isn't there, that the VAR was brought in to ensure that the top teams stay at the top. It actually feels that way. Like top teams seem to be getting more decisions against the lower teams, like a Brighton. Um, and, and other teams playing in, you know, whether you go to Man City's ground, United's ground, whatever it's, you, you don't seem to get decisions. Now that was normally the case historically because of the pressure on a human being, but now there's no excuse for that. And it actually now does seem that teams are getting those decisions and actually it makes it unfair. Whereas before you could just say it was, it was human pressure that was making that happen. So for me, I'd scrap it. I think it's highlighting how bad our referees actually oh, are. Conspiracy theory, really love it. Uh, well, look, I, th- I think we're, we're definitely not going to change the opinion of anybody, but I think it's always good for us to to throw the debate out there. Uh, I guess it depends on where the team you support is in the Premier League tables, whether you think that is going or not. But like you say, with those really strange decisions uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday, you, you definitely have to question the moral compass of what's going on for sure. So, talking about moral compasses, we're going to talk about our our gambling uh, and our predictions. Now, you have done financially very well, Fran. I'm, I, I can't argue that the last two weekends you've you've had some big wins, but technically neither of them have come in. <laughs> technically, they haven't. No, but I had one cash out. Which, yeah, you could say is a loss, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it anyway. And then last week, if you bet with Bet365 and your team goes two goals up, they pay out. So Arsenal actually won the game against Liverpool. So And so over the last win, two game weeks, Frank, you've, myself, you've so collected how much? So £185 in lost bets. Now, £185. <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to let that stand. But the, the, the key thing here is actually the learning is, is that if, if you are going to put even a pound on, on an accumulator or, or what if you're going to do is you need to stay in the game. You need to pay attention because actually if you bet and leave it and come back you know, 24 hours later, you're missing these opportunities to potentially 
cash out at the right time. And, you know, you, you made that great call last weekend to cash out on the draws, which proved to be correct. And again, even if it was incorrect, the risk wasn't worth the reward. And so actually, you know, the key message here is, is firstly, never gamble more than you can afford to lose, obviously. But secondly, stay engaged with, because there is an opportunity for you to make money even if your bet doesn't come in. Yeah, and, and like you said, you, you stay in the game. Like I say, you know, we do a £5 challenge. It's not a lot of money, is it? So it's something that a lot of people can afford to lose. So, But it gives you that chance to win a bit of money. And like you said, if, you, if you're in the game, you can probably cash out for double, which is exactly what, what we're after, isn't it? Just a bit of money. And say £10 winning is better than a £5 loss. So stay in the game. It gives you that interest, doesn't it, as well, which is great. Um, yeah, I, I just think that like that advice there you've given is, is key there. Stay in the game and keep watching the games because also it affects what you do next week. If you are watching all of the fixtures and you and you then know you know yeah. a team is performing badly, you might so this week uh, in the next week, yeah, I'm still taking so the moral yeah, victory. I've won more weeks than you, but we'll let it slide. It's fine. It's still, you've definitely won more money than me, even though I've won more weeks than you. But it's fine. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'll, I'll take that as a as a good bit. Of, now, interestingly, uh, news has just broken that Marcus Rashford is out for a few weeks. So I don't know if that changes anybody's uh, predictions for this week, because you have got Manchester United. Uh, in yours, and I see your face has changed dramatically. Uh, literally, it's just come through. So, so Marcus rushed out for a few games. So, you've gone for a threefold this week. Yep, gone for a treble. I've gone for Arsenal to beat West Ham, Man U to beat Forest. That just feels a bit low to me. To on that. Like, you know, like you said, Arsenal going to West Ham doesn't feel easy. Palace, Southampton, again, you know, lots to play for. And obviously Manchester United away at Notts Forest is not an easy place to go as well. So interesting uh, little six to one there. Now, mine, I've gone a little bit bigger than you. So I've gone for Newcastle. Uh, I've gone for Brighton. I've also gone for Crystal Palace. And I've thrown the home banker in there at Man City uh, to beat Leicester. And, and that came in for me uh, just a little bit under 16s uh, earlier this morning when I checked. Uh so I'm going for a fourfold. I think I think Newcastle will just have enough to beat to beat Aston Villa. I think it's fair to say that I, I'm fully on the Brighton bus, and I think that they're, they're going to have something to play for against Chelsea. You look rudderless, and, and obviously stuck in the middle of a Champions League fixture that I think will take their after ball. Palace to beat Southampton and Man City. I think they're going to be comfortable against Leicester. So I'm, I'm looking at that as being an absolute guaranteed sixteen to one coming from. <laughs> You know, I, I I can't disagree with any of those picks. I mean, I, I stayed away from Newcastle and Brighton just because I thought it could be a bit tighter. I thought the other, you know, I've gone for Arsenal, Man U because I just think they'll beat those teams. I think Palace <laughs> are both gone for Palace, which is a good sign, which will mean Palace will lose three 0 So um, yeah, no, I can't disagree with those picks. I think I think that's a good pick. And you say you've got the, the, the last thing about gambling is that so, yeah, a winning so odd is a good odd. You know, I think sometimes we put we put accumulators on that if they win, they can make us two hundred fifty thousand pounds from a pound. And you think, well, yeah, that's great, but there's a reason why it's that. And sometimes, you know, uh, even a odds on favourite if it wins. Uh, you know, yesterday I spoke to you about Bayern Munich being four to one on to beat Man City. Uh, thinking that was a good odd, will it turn out to be a really bad odd because they got pumped three 0 and actually the the three to five that Man City were was the way to go. So, you know, that, don't look at the odds. Look at what you think is going to happen, and 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 always keep within your in your your limits, obviously. But uh, yeah, I look forward to hopefully getting my my third 
my third win uh, to your none. Uh, anyway, uh, Fran, as always, uh, really, really enjoyed uh, catching up with you today talking football. Uh, where can people find us? Where can they reach out to us? So we're on Twitter. So if you search for the Twitter handle, the atmosphere is electric. You can send us a direct message or a tweet. Um, and it can be anything around content, any questions you want to ask us, and we'll try and get it into the next pod. Or there is a voice note um, function on Spotify that you can send us a awesome. voice note. Awesome. Okay. Well, as always, Fran, I look forward to catching up with you next week. But thank you for your time today. Everybody, hope you enjoy the game week, and we'll all see you next week. Have a good one.